Our sermon this morning is by Pastor Drew Nauman. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Amen. Our sermon text this morning comes from Romans 11, verses 33 to 36. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him, and it shall be repaid to him? For of him, and through him, and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. In Jesus' name, who is both God and man, who shed his blood for us in unfathomable love, and who somehow is with us now, and in every other place where two or three are gathered in his name, dear friends, saints, and creations of our powerful God. I'm sure most of you are familiar with Murphy's Law. It's the belief that anything that can go wrong will go wrong. But I bet you haven't heard of Finagle's Law before. It's pretty much the same as Murphy's Law, but it's even stronger somehow. Finagle's law says that anything that can go wrong, that anything that can go wrong will go wrong, and it will do so at the worst possible time. Further, there's a subcategory of Finagle's law that regards information, which consists of four rules. The information that you have is not what you want. The information that you want is not what you need. The information that you need is unattainable, and the information that you obtain costs more than you're willing to give to obtain it. While Finagle's laws of information are quite pessimistic and don't hold water in many cases, they do have some merit. And we can gauge that by how often we're forced to confess, I don't know. It's a lot, isn't it? We don't like to admit it, but there are many things that we don't know or that we can't understand. And unfortunately, the truths that are past finding out are often the ones that we focus on and obsess over, particularly when it comes to the truths about God. And so today on Trinity Sunday, we discuss what we do not know and admit the things that we don't know about who God is and what he's done. We'll ponder our theme. We don't know everything, and that's okay. First, about how we're created. Second, about how we have been redeemed. And third, about how we are being sanctified. Now, if you're sitting in the pew this morning, looking at our theme and parts of it, thinking to yourself, uh, but I do know that how I was created, and I do know how I have been redeemed, and I do know how I'm being sanctified. You are correct. God does reveal to us in understandable terms precisely how these things took and are taking place. The Father created the world in six 24-hour days, as Genesis 1 tells us. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We know 
we know how we have been redeemed through the blood of Christ, as Paul writes in Ephesians 1.7, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. And we know how we are being sanctified by the Holy Spirit, as Paul writes in Romans 5.5, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. But there is a lot that we don't know, or perhaps said more correctly that we can't understand about these blessings of God. It's for this reason that our text says in verse 33, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. The word for depths here is related to how one would describe a deep, deep body of water. Do you know that even now we have explored less than 10% of the world's oceans? They're just so deep and so vast that it would take hundreds if not thousands of years to map out every nook and crevice. Even more mysterious and deep is the mind of God. And so our text asks, quoting from Isaiah 40 and Jeremiah 23, For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has become his counselor? The answer, obviously, is no one. Only the Spirit knows God's mind. As 1 Corinthians 2.11 says, For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man which is him. Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Think of the Trinity itself, for example, in Deuteronomy 6.4. The Lord your God, the Lord is one. And then Jesus commands us in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's why we confessed the Athanasian Creed this morning. It reflects what Scripture teaches us about the Trinity, that there are not three gods, but one God. And yet there are three persons of God. We can't possibly wrap our minds around it, but thankfully we read in 1 Corinthians 2.10, God has revealed these truths to us through His Spirit, the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. And so we take stock of the wisdom that comes from the Spirit with the work of the Father. Creation. Our text says in verse 36 that we are of Him. We know this from the Genesis account. In the beginning there was nothing, and then six days later God had created everything. The light heavens, seas, and land, the sun, moon, stars, vegetation, the birds and the fish, the beasts of the field, and finally, man. He didn't use evolution. He didn't use any previous materials for creation except for man, whom he formed from the dust. So how can we understand this? One day there was nothing, and then six days later there was everything. The answer is that we don't know everything, and we can't, and that's okay. God doesn't require us to understand every detail about how he caused the miracle of creation to take place. 
We don't have to prove the science behind it. The Lord graciously informs us how he fearfully and wonderfully created us, and we are invited to, by faith, trust in what he says. But how do you know? How can you know? There once was a college student who was Christian, and this Christian had a roommate who was an atheist and would criticize this Christian, saying, well, you just believe everything that little book tells you. But he thought about that, and the more he thought about it, the more he realized it was true, but not in a bad way. This is simply the nature of faith. Confessing that the triune God is Lord and that we are not. Grasping by faith alone, which comes from the Spirit, the things that our eyes don't see, which our science can't prove and our minds can't understand. And perhaps nothing bends the human understanding more than the work of the Son, our redemption. How could one man be the sacrifice for all sin for all time? Furthermore, how can Jesus be at the same time both 100% God and 100% man? That's what we confessed in the creed, isn't it? Although he is God and man, he is not two Christs, but one Christ. If you're hung up on that part, we haven't even gotten to the toughest piece yet. Why on earth would God, the eternal and all-powerful creator of everything, choose to save you? You who have disobeyed him at every turn. You who have run headlong into sin and danger without number, like a stubborn mule or an ignorant sheep. Mankind who is by nature unwilling and unable to hear or accept the good news of salvation, would rather try to fit the King of Kings and Lord of Lords into a small, convenient, palatable box of our own reason. Why would God give anything for people like that? Why would God give us his perfect, only begotten Son for people like you and me? The answer is found in the most well-known and often glossed over passage in Scripture that comes just after our other text in John, John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Why would God sacrifice himself for sinners? It's love. Love that we have no concept of and no point of comparison because it so far surpasses love that we are capable of. Paul's prayer to, for his fellow believers in Ephesians 3.18 was, May you be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. How can we know what passes our human knowledge? Only by faith. We don't know everything, and that's okay. We can't fully comprehend this irrational, relentless, and unconditional love that God has shown to us in the cross of Christ. But we know what he reveals to us 
in his word. Not that God has loved us because of what we have to offer. As our text says, who has given him, him, who has first given to him, and it shall be repaid to him. We come to him with nothing in our hands, and we leave with invaluable, eternal riches. We come to him naked, and he clothes us with the garments of salvation. We come to him weak, helpless, and filled with sin, and he raises us up from the dust to name us kings, priests, and beloved children. We can't possibly understand the full love of God that is given so freely to people who are so undeserving. And that's okay. We don't need to know all of the how, so long as we know that it's not an if. Just as the Sunday school song says, because the Bible tells me so. But then we get to the now. How is the work of the Spirit, our sanctification, being accomplished right now? How can, how can a people who were once so darkened with the filth of sin be turned into the light of the world and the salt of the earth? Sooner would an oil tanker be able to turn on a dime than a sinner can be made into a saint. But that's precisely what we're told has happened. 1 Peter 2.10 Once you were not a, not a people, but were now the people of God. You had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. This is accomplished through the word being preached and read and sung. Mere words, cutting like a sword through the calluses of sin and disobedience and guiding us to follow his will for us in joy and hope. This is accomplished through the sacrament of baptism where, with a few words and a sprinkling of ordinary tap water, a soul is pardoned of all sin and is adopted into God's family of faith. This is accomplished through the sacrament of the Lord's Supper where simple bread and wine, the true physical body and blood of Christ, is given to us in, to eat and drink for the remission of sins. How? We don't know. We don't know everything, and that's okay. God says in Isaiah 55, My word shall not return to me void, but will accomplish that which I please. And God says in 1 Peter Baptism now saves us. Jesus invites us in Matthew 26. Take, eat, this is my body, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood. So people are going to ask you, how do you know? How can you be sure that this is God's word? How can you be sure that baptism does this? And how can you possibly believe that you are partaking in Christ's true body and blood every time you come to communion? This shouldn't surprise you. Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 1, But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. They're going to want you to prove it. And don't fall for that trap. We can't prove it because we don't know how these things can be. We don't know everything, and that's okay. 
Second Timothy, Timothy 4.2 encourages you, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. Don't give them your best guess. Give them what God has given you to give them, his holy word. Your calling is confession, not conjecture. Preach the word, plant the seed, and the spirit will do the watering. All these can... Things considered, I have to confess that Finagle's law of information is partly correct. The information that you have is not what you want. Our sinful flesh wants more information than what the Spirit has seen fit to give. It's also true that the information you want is not what you need. We don't need anything more than what the Spirit has revealed to us. But the final two points are entirely false. The information that you need is unattainable. Not only is it obtainable, but all of the knowledge that we need for salvation is readily available in his word and to everyone who seeks after God in contrition and repentance. And part four, the information you can Obtain costs more than you're willing to give to obtain it. This precious information is found, found only in Scripture, costs us nothing. Because Jesus paid the ultimate price to bring us this message of grace and forgiveness. So do we need to know everything? No. We don't need to, nor do we know everything and that's okay. We know exactly as much as we need to about our triune, three-in-one God and His powerful working for us. We know that God the Father created everything and that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We know that God the Son has redeemed us through His perfect life and innocent death. And we know that the Spirit is working in and among us to sanctify us as his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Through our careful study and meditation, may God reveal to us the things that we can know about him. Through humble prayer, may he give us the peace and humility to recognize that there is much more we do not know on this side of eternity. And may he give us the confidence to trust, nonetheless, that these things which we confess are true and sure, and that one day we will know everything when we see him face to face in eternal glory. When we read in 1 Corinthians 13, think about the quality of mirrors in biblical times. We read, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am known. And now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. In Jesus' saving name, amen.